Welcome to Just One Cube. I'm Dr. Melissa Horn, a diversity, equity, and inclusion advocate. In this podcast, I chat with industry experts and thought leaders about the latest trends related to diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. Each episode, I ask one burning question tied to current events. Our goal is to leave you with the tools that you need to drive change in your own life, both personally and professionally. Just like money, politics, and sex, religion is one of those topics that we've been told to avoid in the workplace. But avoiding religion and religious diversity isn't the same as accepting it. And the result of this avoidance is that religious and spiritual people feel left out and that their real selves, their religious selves, have no place at work. Religion, I've noticed, is also conspicuously absent from DEI efforts in most workplaces. The fact is, many of us lack religious literacy. So for today's burning question, I'm asking, what is religious literacy and how do we incorporate religious inclusion in our workplaces? And to answer today's question, I'm joined by Brian Carwana. Brian is the executive director of Encounter World Religions. For more than two decades, Brian has taught religious literacy programs from a non-sectarian perspective, helping organizations and their staff open the door to meaningful conversations and build those crucial relationships with authenticity and sensitivity. Brian, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited to, to talk to you about this topic. So yeah. let's, what is religious literacy and why does it matter in the workplace? Yeah, thanks, Melissa. Thanks for giving me this opportunity. You know, as you were saying in the introduction, we do live in an era where we are really working towards greater inclusion at work. But as you were kind of hinting at, religion is this kind of third rail. It is a topic where we feel illiterate. We have this sense of, gosh, I don't know anything about that topic. And you know what we do when we feel uninformed about a topic, we avoid it. And we do this particularly with religion because we have been, there is a cultural norm that there's something about religion that is kind of uh, volatile or potentially dangerous, right? And so first you have the sense of, I don't know anything about it. Then we have this cultural norm that there's something touchy about it. And so we do, we, we close off and we do this in a million little ways, right? The topic comes up at work and you just change the topic of conversation. And what is the result? The result is that people with religious identities learn that there is something about them, often something that is actually very central to who they are, that is uh, a kind of taboo, that it needs to be withheld, it needs to be constrained. And the cost of this is significant. There was a study in Canada a year ago, and it's a Canadian study, it's not somewhere else. And it showed that 40% of religious minorities in Canada said that they feel uncomfortable speaking up at work. That number was shockingly high. It was actually higher in the study than the comparable number either for women uh, or for racial minorities. So that is why we need it, right? Because we have uh, a large chunk of folks at our staff who feel that they can't be themselves. It's not moral to make them feel that way. Uh, and it's costly to the organization. We lose engagement, we lose contribution, and it's going to hurt in retention and performance. And so that's that's why I think religious literacy is so key. And it's interesting because, you know, we think about the world as becoming more secular. So how do we reconcile this idea around this religious diversity, but we're also more secular? Or is that not true? Is that just a perception? Yeah, that's a great point. So in Canada, th there's a bunch of things going on at the same time. Like Canada is becoming more secular because compared to a culture 40 years ago that was highly Christian, we now have more people who don't belong to any religion. At the same time, we have more religious diversity than we've ever had. 
Not only that, we have even other diverse countries, like if you think the United States or the UK, our religious diversity is quite a bit higher than theirs. People don't know this, but we have higher proportions of Sikhs, of Muslims, of Hindus, of Buddhists than either of those other two diverse nations. So we've never been more diverse. And even our diversity in the population is overrepresented at work, right? The diversity of the population over age 60 is less than it is for the you know, 25 to 40 crowd. So we're more diverse than we've ever been. We're getting more diverse all the time. And, you know, so that that's kind of the issue. And at the same time that we talk about inclusion and there's lots going on, another factor that's going on is that there has been this backlash that sometimes folks at work are not so sort of attuned into, which is that there's been a surge of hate crimes. Right. Many folks don't know this, but in Canada in 2017, hate crimes, after being fairly steady for several years, really surged. Some people think it tied into the start of the Trump presidency. It's hard to prove that, but there was a big surge. And the jump in hate crimes was overwhelmingly religious hate crimes. There was almost a doubling of religious hate crimes. Since then, it stayed high. In 2020, it broke the 2017 record. And in 2021, it's going to break it again, apparently. And so what's going on at work is, A, you have a more diverse workforce than you've ever had. And B, there are hate crimes. And, and some of them we hear about, you know, Melissa, we hear about like the family in London that was run down, but some okay. we don't. In, this, in 2021, in Q1, in first quarter, just in Alberta, so not the whole country, one province, one quarter, there were seven incidents of a Muslim woman being attacked. Seven different women got punched, kicked, headscarves ripped off, attacked in a park, all sorts of things. And so if you belong to these communities, you don't just hear that family in London that's in the news. You Sometimes you will hear about all seven of those incidents, right? Or that's yeah. what happened again. And so you have a diverse workforce. And then some of them are coming with a sense of fear, right? But they hear this sort of stuff. And then what happens at work? How do we respond? We respond by not talking about it, by going silent, which just reinforces the notion that there's something about you, you know, that doesn't quite belong. Yeah. And we don't think about that, right? I think because we've been sort of taught to to keep religion private, at least I know, you know, we've talked about this before, that it's a very sort of Western notion that we don't sort of talk about religion. And so we've got people coming to the office who are one, are have have a very strong religious identity that they can't, or they don't feel like they can um, express. And two, we're not talking about it because we're sort of not comfortable. And so how is this impacting then folks in the workplace? So you mentioned the study that people don't feel comfortable showing up, but how else is this sort of glossing over of religious identity affecting workplaces and employees? Yeah, you know, there's a great study out of Google. It was written up in the Harvard Business Review. They studied team effectiveness for two years, and they tried to look at what factors lead to effective teams. And the number one factor they found by far was what's called psychological safety. And there's different components to psychological safety, but, you know, part of it is just the sense that you feel like you belong, that you can say what you think, that it's okay to express a divergent thought. Divergent thoughts are just key to team effectiveness. The safety allows you to say, well, how about this? And how about that? And a lot of those will prove to be dead ends, but because you generate them, you end up coming up with a few nuggets, right? But it requires that safety. And so if you've got, you know, religious minorities at work who don't feel safe, you lose those contributions. You lose team effectiveness. You lose the effectiveness of those people, which means they don't thrive in your firm. They don't get promoted, which means your senior management stays kind of more monochrome than it would otherwise. And of course, it's not, they're not enjoying themselves and they're going to leave and you're going to lose, you're going to lose again in terms of retention and all the costs that that has, you know, so it's just less effectiveness. There is kind of the moral side, like what a, what a terrible thing to 
spend all day in an environment where you feel like you have to clamp down on yourself and there's the cost and retention. So for businesses, there's just a significant payoff to figuring out a way to start to open these conversations, to get rid of the taboo, to make people feel like they can show up with their authentic selves at work. So that sort of segues into, you know, what do we do then? How do we bring religious inclusion into our DEI efforts? What does that look like? Yeah, you know, a lot of organizations have brought me in just to start the conversation. It is amazing how literally one conversation can kind of break the glass, right? Like, oh, we can actually talk about this at work. I, I didn't know we could do this. So, you know, there's a number of, so in any way that you start that conversation, some of it can be through employee newsletters. You know, there are organizations doing things like this, marking holidays, uh, personal stories. You know, it's one thing to say that there's a holiday coming up. It's another thing if you can find a staff member who can talk about it personally. You know, uh, Eid is coming up and here's Ali who is in finance and he talks about, you know, what they do for Eid and this dish that his mother makes, right? And then when you go and see Ali, you can say, hey, you know, I was reading that thing, that dish your mom makes sounds great. You know, it reminds me of something my grandmother makes, right? And all of that sounds like tiny little stuff, but it's actually... Like that makes the person feel seen, right? You can talk about it. They can talk about their backgrounds. So personalizing things, the personal stories really helps. Other things I have had numerous organizations bring me in to literally just talk about either our conceptions about religion in order to open the conversation, or sometimes they've had me come in and do a series on different religions, like actually just talk about religions. You know, because as we were saying at the beginning, this is something where as a society, we are illiterate. And it happened in school. We were afraid of in schools of proselytizing, which I think was very valid, but we went beyond saying not proselytizing to saying, just don't touch it. And so, you know, the the sense of just not knowing is a big issue. And so anything you can do that just starts to open a conversation, you know, ask questions, (laughs) you know, Eid's coming up, go talk to somebody, acknowledge it. You know, another thing is to acknowledge events that happen in the news. I was talking with an HR person in the summer and they had kind of failed. They, they are actually very advanced on this, but they acknowledge that they had failed to say anything in the light of the killing of that family in, in London, the Muslim family. And their staff took it as, you know, you don't care. And they didn't say anything because they didn't know what to say, <laughs> right? It's not that they didn't care. It's not that they were heartless, uh, but they didn't know what to say. And so I think just starting to talk, you know, asking questions, opening conversations, putting it in your newsletter, bringing someone in who can talk about it. If we just open the conversations, I think we're going to find that the change will happen quickly and that it will really pay off in many ways for the people who have these identities, but for the firm as a whole. You know, I'm thinking about this as we're heading into the holiday season. And I know that you've written about this, but one thing, you know, again, this is where my religious uh, illiteracy comes to fruition is thinking about, you know, we say happy holidays and people often position that as a, a, instead of Merry Christmas, but really, as your blog points out, and we're going to link to that um, in the show notes, there's a whole bunch of religious holidays and, and festivities that are happening between November and January, which really made me think about when we say happy holidays, that is truly an inclusive thing because there are so many different people who are celebrating right now. Yeah, that's right. And holidays are just a great opportunity, right? If you're worried about uh, trying to create an inclusive environment at your workspace, holidays are an opportunity, right? It's an easy way to say to someone, hey, you know, I know this day is important to you. I know it's important to your family. You know, you can Google how you say the appropriate happy holidays to them, you know, Eid Mubarak or, or what have you. And, you know, it just says something to that person. 
you know, I, I think of Ramadan that way. Ramadan is, you know, that entire month. And I often think for firms, they should see Ramadan as an opportunity. Ramadan is an opportunity to show your Muslim staff that they matter to you, right? To say, okay, it's Ramadan. We know some of our staff are fasting and to say to your managers, all right, you know, they're fasting during Ramadan. So, you know, you definitely want to avoid any kind of lunch meetings and think about scheduling. They are fasting all day, which means they have lots of energy in the morning and it's going to wane as the day goes on. So if you can, you know, try and if you have team meetings that involve them, see if you can have it in the morning. And the Muslim staff will see that, right? Like, oh my gosh, you actually care about what's going on with me. So things like that, like Ramadan, holidays, they really are opportunities to show your staff that they matter. Gallup has this um, enormous survey. I think they've done it to 3 million people and over 100,000 teams over a couple decades about employee engagement. And it's, they have these kind of 12 factors. And one of the 12 is that someone at work cares about me as a person. Religious holidays are just like a glaring opportunity to show someone that they matter. It seems like a good starting point. And then, as you mentioned around, you know, Ramadan, thinking about scheduling, and that takes it one step further beyond just sort of acknowledging, but really being inclusive, right? So, I mean, I think if, if you're just starting, it's great to start with that acknowledging, but then thinking about how do you work people's religious identity into inclusion and, and, and sort of policies and practices within the organization as well. Yeah, that's right, Melissa. And that's one example, you know, food obviously is another, you want to, you know, try and figure out what the dietary needs are of people. Food is the way we bond, right? Yeah. If you, if you're attracted to somebody, you know, you're single, what do you do? You go out for food. You know, if, if there's a neighbor who you want to kind of move beyond being neighbors to being friends you invite them over for food. And so making sure that when there's, you know, food in the office that everyone can eat that, you know, that's it's food is a connector. Food says you're welcome here. So that, you know, there's, there's all sorts of opportunities to, as you say, go beyond acknowledging and start thinking about inclusion. Really interesting. The other thing I was wondering is, um, we talked about this early at one point, but there's other ways that I think religion and people with religious identities are starting to sort of advocate for themselves as well. And that's, I think, through employee resource groups. I know that the US is a bit more advanced in that, but what do we do in Canada? You know, if you're listening and you want to think about starting one in, in your organization, what, what does that look like? Yeah, and faith-based employee resource groups, as you as you note, Melissa, have really gained steam in the United States. Most of the large companies, you know, Google, Intel, Texas Instruments, American Airlines, they they all have these. Sometimes they're individual religions. There's a Muslim group, there's a Jewish group, there's a Christian group, and sometimes they're interfaith groups. And they are starting to come to Canada. There are some organizations here that have started doing it as well. So it depends now if you're at a small firm or a large firm. So if you're at a large firm, Usually they're already, they often have employee resource groups. And so it's simply a matter of, you know, approaching the HR people, trying to find some other folks who might be interested in doing it. It's important to get someone senior involved. Employee resource groups generally need some kind of senior backing. And then if you can go to, you know, go to the HR folks and say, we want to start this. And the key thing to frame it with them, I think, is that it's not about religion. It's about inclusion right? This isn't about proselytizing at work. That's not the point. It's about inclusion. And you do need to sit down and sort of figure out the purpose of the group. Uh, You need to say, okay, why are we doing this? And have that sort of clarified up front, figure out what it is that your ERG will do and what, what it will not do. And make sure that that purpose lines up with the corporate vision, right? That the inclusion sort of fits in. So those are sort of some of the steps to take. 
If you're at a small organization and maybe you don't have enough folks to do that, there are other things you can do. You know, if there's an employee resource group around uh, women, then maybe it's a matter of saying, hey, you know, if we're having a panel, can we have someone who has a religious identity and who can speak at that? Like link up with the ERGs that are already there or just other things that are going up at work and see if you can have a religious voice. You know, having one person at one panel talk about the religious identity is, again, one of those things that just breaks the glass. It takes away the taboo. And that that just makes your staff feel, makes the whole space for them feel different. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's a great point, because I know that we do have folks who are in large organizations and in smaller, and it's great to be able to sort of have a a strategy for, you know, if if you're someone with religious identity and you've been sort of, you want to connect with others, or if you're thinking about this and you're thinking, yeah, our organization is one of those organizations who has definitely left religion out of their inclusion framework. Here's a great way to sort of to show employees too, if you start you know, down the road of, of thinking about how do we create a faith-based employee resource group? Yeah. And, and, you know, you touched on something earlier too, Melissa. So one thing firms can do is look at their DEI statement and uh, policies and does it mention religion? There was a study done in the United States and it showed the topics that were mentioned, you know, race and gender were at the very top. And there were like 12 of them. And religion was 12th, <laughs> like less than half the, the statements even mentioned it. And I even noticed, you know, even if I go look for images of like diverse workplace, you know, you go to Google image and type in diverse workforce, you get these, you know, staged photos with 25 people where the whole intention is to show diversity. They've got every skin tone under the rainbow, sometimes someone with a disability, but over and over and over in those images, you will notice there's not a visible religious minority. One way of opening the conversation is just making sure that even your DEI policies think about this. And I even encourage firms that they shouldn't just talk about religion. I I always say they should talk about religious, secular, and spiritual identities. Um, Because if you just talk about religious identities, it sounds like there's some kind of us and then some kind of them, and we have to accommodate them. Uh, But religious, secular, and spiritual includes everyone at work. It includes people who say they're spiritual but not religious, and, and it's just about all of us belonging. I loved what you just said right there. And I kind of want to leave it there. It is about all of us belonging and finding ways that we can bring ourselves to work. I think that's a really powerful thing that you just said there. I want to thank you so much, Brian, for just, you know, breaking the glass on this conversation for the show. Um, This is one, you know, topic that we definitely had not had before. And in chatting with you today and, and before I've learned so much just around how much we sort of overlook religious identity as as a as something that we need to be really thinking about in terms of our DE and I efforts. You know, I can't thank you uh, enough for joining us today, and you've given us a lot to think about. For those who are listening, if you'd like to learn more about Brian and the work that he's doing, you can visit worldreligions.ca, or you can visit Brian's personal site and blog at religionsgeek.com. You can follow him on LinkedIn or Twitter at Religions Geek. And to everyone who tuned in, thank you so much for joining me on Just One Q. As always, if you have any of your own questions, you can feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Until next time, I'm Dr. Melissa Horn, and this is Just One Q. 